This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to Dissect, long-form musical analysis broken into short, digestible episodes. I'm your host, Cole Kushner. Today, we continue our serialized examination of Kanye West's My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. On our last episode, we dissected the album's third track, Power, a kind of psychoanalysis on the concept of power, an exploration of Kanye's relationship to celebrity and fame. Due to the inherent pressure and fears of power, we heard Kanye's self-aggrandizing egotism decay over the course of the song, which concludes with Kanye fantasizing about his own suicide. In many ways, this imagined suicide marks the end of the album's large-scale introduction. On Dark Fantasy, Gorgeous and Power, Kanye establishes a witty, wealthy, erratic, somewhat reckless character who's struggling with his relationship to fame, the fear of losing his creativity, escapism through drugs and women, and perhaps most of all, an internal confliction of self. He shared his youthful conceit on Dark Fantasy, shown moments of social observational brilliance on songs like Gorgeous, while also revealing a troubled and haunted psyche on Power. He alludes to escapism through sex, drugs, and materialism throughout all of these songs, and mentions more than a few times the devil that seems to be forever around the corner. We get the impression that Kanye is dealing with an abundance of emotional and psychological distress, and his fantasized death at the end of Power is at once tragic and liberating. The music we hear directly after the end of power is, well, funereal. And let's ask ourselves, what happens immediately after death? We supposedly see a bright light, don't we? Well, then it would be no coincidence that this funereal interlude acts as a bridge into another world. The subject of today's episode, All of the Lights. All of the Lights! All of the Lights is produced by Kanye West and Jeff Basker. Kanye has stated that All of the Lights is one of his greatest musical accomplishments, and it's not difficult to understand why. 
The track contains an extensive orchestral instrumentation, including French horns, trumpets, flute, violins, violas, cello, keyboards, piano, bass, extremely intricate drum programming, not to mention the 14 high-profile guest vocalists, Alicia Keys, John Legend, The Dream, Drake, Fergie, Kid Cudi, Elton John, Charlie Wilson, Tony Williams, Ellie Jackson, Alvin Fields, Ken Lewis, and Rihanna. Its decadence and beauty brims on the brink of chaos, as if just one more percussive hit would send the whole thing crashing to the ground. The transition from the end of power, the chamber music interlude, to all of the lights is personally one of my favorite moments on the album experience. I always hear it as a portal to another world. The Kanye character, established throughout the first three tracks, has perhaps died some kind of spiritual or metaphoric death, and now he'll begin to pull back the curtain and reveal to us the fantastic, dark and twisted recesses of his psyche. The brief musical interlude features cello by Chris Charney and piano by Elton John. The musical material is adapted from all the lights, but is slowed down and embellished to be perhaps unrecognizable to some. I'd like to take a moment to display just how this interlude was adapted and transformed from all the lights, as I feel it displays Kanye's intuitive gift of instrumentation, and in this case, orchestration. The opening of the interlude features a melody played by both cello and piano, while the piano also provides a harmonic accompaniment. For clarity's sake, I'm going to play just the melody as simply as possible on the piano without accompaniment. With that fresh in your ears, let's hear the introduction of All the Lights. The melody first played on cello and piano is now played by a brass section. The melody is altered rhythmically, with sharp staccato notes interspersed in the horn version, where they are played long and sustained on the cello and the interlude. Let's hear both versions back-to-back on the piano alone. First the sustained cello version, followed directly by the staccato horn version. Now let's hear those two versions played simultaneously. Compositionally, these two versions follow the same melodic arc, yet contain two different emotional qualities due to the instrumentation, rhythmic alteration, and articulation adjustments. A similar phenomenon occurs with the interlude's second section. Now, that same section on all the lights. Do your best to ignore the vocal part and concentrate solely on the horns. And again, let's hear these two versions played back to back on piano alone.
and now played on top of each other. It's the same effect as the first section. Instrumentation, rhythm, and articulation change the emotional quality of the otherwise synonymous melodies. This is artistic flex at its finest. The best musicians and composers are able to bend melodies and harmonies to their expressive will, exhibiting total control of their emotional sonic palette, limitless in their expressive power. The All of the Lights interlude is a somber, weeping, melancholic dirge, while the full-length track is a declarative fanfare fit for a king. It's a sonic exemplification of the fragility of power, the duality of our perception of fame, and its dark reality seen and experienced only by those living with it. This dichotomy was also expressed on both dark fantasy and power, and as the album progresses, the dark twisted side of this dichotomy will come into focus much more, until it's nearly all we can see. Let's listen again to the concluding moments of the interlude, followed directly by the opening moments of All the Lights. After the somber conclusion of the interlude, the opening exclamation of the phrase All of the Lights is like the flipping of a switch, a switch controlling something like the neon lights of the Las Vegas Strip. After the fanfare horns intone the track with royalty and grandeur, Rihanna performs the opening hook. Rihanna sings, turn up the lights in here, extra bright I want y'all to see this. Here at the beginning, and framed within the song's massive, pulsating sonic architecture, these lyrics are a bit ambiguous. We might wonder if she's talking about having sex with the lights on, with the line, I want y'all to see this, being her body. A bit of clarity comes with the closing line, you know what I need, want you to see all of the lights. It's the lights themselves she wants us to see, not so much what they illuminate. It's an interesting image, as we imagine looking directly into a display of lights and the blinding after effect it causes. This, combined with the blinding fury of the music behind her, is starting to paint a subtle picture of what the song is really about, the reality of fame. Rihanna, who becomes yet another surrogate narrator of Kanye's story, is here to shine the bright lights on the dark side of celebrity. After this opening hook, a unique post hook or bridge is performed by Rihanna and Ellie Jackson. This post-hook section, which is performed only this one time, begins fast cars, shooting stars, all of the lights, until it's Vegas everywhere we are. Fast cars invokes an image of celebrity lifestyle, but also calls to mind the emptiness of material things Kanye has already alluded to several times on the album thus far. Shooting stars is a clever use of metaphor. While a shooting star is commonly used to describe someone's rapid or overnight success, 
We also realize that shooting stars and the light they emit is one of deterioration, a rock moving so fast through the Earth's atmosphere that it glows as it burns itself to death. Shooting stars live very brief, albeit rather sensational, lives. Like the famous, they're a phenomenon we think looks beautiful at a distance, but if you're the rock that's burning, the experience isn't as glamorous as it might seem. The post-hook continues until it's Vegas everywhere we are. I believe Vegas is being used as representative of the glitz and glamour of fame, that life as a celebrity is like being a walking Vegas strip, a neon light of excitement that everyone can see from a mile away. But for most of us, the Vegas strip is a place we'd like to visit, but would hate to live, which makes the following line, you can get it for the rest of your life, a bit ominous. Money, sin, women, cars, lights, clubs, drugs, sex, alcohol, all these things are synonymous with both Vegas life and celebrity culture and it would seem Kanye feels trapped by the indulgences and temptations that shadow him constantly. You can get it for the rest of your life. Feels like a menacing forewarning to his audience. To be careful what you wish for. After the conclusion of this post-hook, verse 1 begins. Something wrong, I hold my head. MJ gone, I nigga dead. I slap my girl. I'm going to assume most of you've heard all the lights before. So our familiarity with the song might actually hinder how odd and striking Kanye's interest is here. So far, we've had a magniloquent sonic landscape accented by lyrics about Vegas lights and expensive cars. We might expect, or at least went in question, Kanye using this platform for self-aggrandizing similar to Power's introduction. And yet, Kanye's opening line is, Something wrong, I hold my head, MJ gone, our N-word dead. Kanye chooses this bombastic beat to express his sorrow for the passing of Michael Jackson whose unexpected death in 2009 shocked the world. Connie's an enormous admirer of Michael Jackson and credits him as someone who broke down boundaries so people like him could succeed. Yeah, of course, you know, like Michael Jackson, like he had to fight to get his mm-hmm. video played because he was black. This is Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson's not even black. He's Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, an apos- you know, like saying he's so crazy like how can he even be just classified as like you know this black artist so for me you know in my life and creativity it's been challenging yeah Mm -hmm. it's been challenging and everything but i was able to ascend to massive levels of heights and never stop right because of the foundation that my mother and my father and my grandfather laid through civil rights what michael jackson did with um with with music videos and the ground he broke, there would be no Kanye West if it wasn't for Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson was a prescription drug addict who took a cocktail of medications every day, including anti-anxiety and antidepressants. Insanely famous from a young age, Michael Jackson is perhaps history's largest representative of the tragic fate of many celebrities. It's no surprise then that Kanye dedicates his album about fame to Michael Jackson in the liner notes of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Specifically on All the Lights, Kanye seems to be using Jackson's death and the epileptic onslaught of a beat to frame his conversation about his anxiety-ridden relationship with fame, which he explores metaphorically as a story about an abusive ex-con trying to win back his wife and daughter after being released from prison. Me. I had to take them to that ghetto universe. 
Connie introduces the circumstances around his fictionalized narrative with the opening line, I slapped my girl, she called the feds, I did that time and spent that bread. Of course, Connie is speaking metaphorically here, as he's never been to prison for domestic abuse. We can most obviously connect this story with Connie's incident at the VMAs, Taylor Swift being the slap girl, the public being the feds, and doing time being the self-imposed exile to Japan, Europe, and Hawaii following the incident. Connie then says, I'm heading home, I'm almost there, I'm on my way, heading up the stairs. To my surprise, an N-word replacing me, I had to take him to that ghetto university. Again, we can find parallels in Kanye's actual life in which he fears the public has moved on. That his faux pas at the VMAs and his most recent album at that time, 808s and Heartbreak, alienated and put at risk his relationship with his fans. A ghetto university, which was actually the original title for the song, is an education via street life and is used here to allude to the fact that Kanye kicked the new boyfriend's ass. We may liken this statement to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy itself, Kanye's aggressive attempt to win back the public by returning to rap, and creating an indisputable verbal assault so good we have no choice but to respect him. After this brief but bewildering verse, the pre-chorus begins. Connie's assertive list of lights adds to the sensory overload that we've been experiencing thus far on the track. It provides a new dynamic to the lights theme established in the song's introduction. There we heard about the glamorous lights of fast cars, shooting stars, and Las Vegas. Kanye in the pre-chorus is here to show us another side of lights, ones with mostly negative connotations. Coming after the allusions to an altercation at the conclusion of the verse, cop lights, flashlights, and spotlights remind us of law enforcement, a persecution and reprimand, of being hunted and singled out. Connie then frames these lights in a context of lifestyle, fast life, drug life, thug life, rock life. Here, Connie seems to be merging and showing parallels between celebrity life and street life. Both celebrities and convicts like Connie portrays on the verse often live fast lives full of drugs and altercation. Rock life is a clever use of double meaning with the word rock. It represents both rock or crack cocaine, and Rockefeller Records, again displaying the intersection of street and celebrity life. The pre-chorus is followed by another repetition of the hook. Like on Dark Fantasy, Gorgeous, and Power, our initial impression of the hook and its meaning is altered after hearing the context of the verse and pre-chorus. Turn up the lights in here, extra bright, I want y'all to see this, want you to see all the lights, becomes even more clearly an expose of the ugly side of fame. It heightens the significance of verse 1, as if the metaphoric story Kanye tells is the very thing that she wants illuminated. On verse 2, Kanye continues the story started on verse 1, adding complexity and depth. Kanye's fictitious story develops complexity with the addition of a child introduced in verse 2's opening line, Restraining order, can't see my daughter. Kanye's relationship with his daughter is put at risk by his abusive treatment of her mother, as outlined in verse 1. Of course, Kanye didn't have a daughter in real life at the time of writing All the Lights, so we might ask ourselves what he means by this. The answer, or at least the key to my interpretation, is found in the previous track, Power. Let's have a listen. 
My tell like creativity, purity and honesty is honestly being crowded by these grown thoughts. Reality is catching up with me, taking my inner child, I'm fighting for a custody. With these responsibilities that they entrust. My childlike creativity, purity, and honesty is honestly being crowded by these grown thoughts. Reality is catching up with me, taking my inner child, I'm fighting for custody. Like we noted on our power episode, Kanye likens his creativity to the purity of a child, something he speaks on often in interviews. The domestic abuse and jail time of verse 1 can be viewed as metaphor for the VMAs and his self-imposed exile then we can liken the restraining order and child of verse 2 to the post-VMA restraints put on his creativity and music. Without his mother, a girlfriend, or children of his own, it wouldn't be a stretch to think at this point in Kanye's life, his music and creative muse were the most valuable things to him, the things he held most dear. He elaborates on the restraints placed on his art with the line, Public visitation, we met at Borders. Borders was a book and music retail chain that was operational at the time of Twisted Fantasy, but has since shut down. I believe Kanye is using the public visitation metaphor as the limitations he feels that are now being put on his art. Because he's lost the trust in the world, he's forced to be cautious and limit his self-expression, his childlike creativity, a situation he perhaps views akin to only seeing your child in a public space. It's degrading and unnatural. Cleverly, Kanye chose borders as representative of that space, which is of course a place won by his music but also alludes to a physical border wall placed between him and his child or creative muse. As verse 2 concludes, Kanye begins showing signs of maturation and remorse. Told us you take me back, I'll be more supportive. I made mistakes, I bumped my head, and court sucked me dry. I spent that bread, she need a daddy. Baby, please, can't let her grow up in that ghetto university. After verse 1, which opens with a line about slapping his girl and ends with a line about beating the new boyfriend, the lines, told her she'd take me back, I'll be more supportive, I made mistakes, I bumped my head, represent a shift in attitude. For me, the latter two lines always stand out for their admission and repentance. It seems like a genuine plea for forgiveness. The earnestness of the moment creates a strange juxtaposition against the extravagant musical backdrop, like someone trying to apologize in a noisy strip club. The sincerity sucked from their words due to the environment in which they're spoken. Connie continues his attempts at atonement as the verse concludes, saying, She need her daddy, baby, please. Can't let her grow up in that ghetto university. There's a kind of desperation in Connie's voice here. He cites again the ghetto university brought up in verse 1, but instead of using it as insinuation to a jealousy-induced altercation, here in verse 2 it's a metaphor for the broken, fatherless home his daughter will be forced to grow up in without him. The contrast in the use of Ghetto University displays a narrative arc of the song. Connie's character begins a delinquent, violent abuser in verse 1 and ends a fearful, remorse-filled father in verse 2. If we're going to continue the metaphor that Connie's daughter here is his childlike creativity, then it would seem he fears the degradation of his art due to his solid relationship with the public. The desperation in his voice is a worrisome expression of a world in which Connie isn't able to create music where hip-hop and culture moves in a different direction because it lacks its influence. After a repetition of the pre-chorus and hook, a bridge is performed by Kid Cudi. Kanye 
Cuddy sings, getting mine, gotta let these n-words know. Getting right, you should go and get your own. While it's somewhat cryptic, this bridge could be viewed as a conclusion to the abuser's story told on the verses. After pleading with his baby's mother for forgiveness, the two part ways, a disillusion fueled by prioritizing self-fulfillment and getting mine over conjugal harmony. It marks the beginning of the end, as the musical material starts to strip away and a new character enters, played by singer Fergie of the Black Eyed Peas. You should go and get your own. Fergie's entrance is an abrupt tonal shift as the music begins to tear away from the scenes. She says, unemployment line, credit card decline. Did I not mention I was about to lose my mind? And also was about to do that line? We're going all the way this time. If we're still attempting to piece together the narrative and characters on all the lights, then this performance could be either Connie's girl or his daughter now grown up. It would seem to me to be more plausible that it's the daughter character. Kanye leaves us on verse 2 fearing his daughter would grow up fatherless in the ghetto university, slaying for street life in a broken home. It would seem that his fears were realized if we're thinking about the Kid Cudi bridge as dissolution of the parents' relationship. The daughter then enters as a kind of epilogue to the story, and her being raised fatherless in a broken home, a quote-unquote ghetto university, finds her struggling both mentally and financially, turning to drugs for escape, and perhaps an allusion to suicide with the last line, we're going all the way this time. And while all those connections do make narrative sense, let's not forget that it can be and is perhaps best viewed as a grand metaphor for Kanye's life. Declining credit cards and unemployment become the state of his music career post-VMAs. The next line about losing one's mind is the anxiety he feels after the vilification that followed the VMAs, leading him to flee the country. We've already heard multiple times on the album the temptation to escape drugs and alcohol, and here on the bridge it's expressed as, quote, about to do that line. These personal feelings cryptically expressed through the daughter character are an example of the fantasy world we've crossed over to after the funereal interlude. After Fergie's brief cameo, all of the lights deteriorates and we're left with a mysterious ticking clock-like melody. This breakdown is followed by an altered performance of the song's hook sung by Charlie Wilson, Elton John, John Legend, Ryan Leslie, The Dream, and Tony Williams. An outro is then performed by Elton John and Alicia Keys. Elton John sings, I tried to tell you, but all I could say is, which is then cut off by a series of O's sung by Alicia Keys. Again, things are a little cryptic here, but we might hypothesize that Kanye was trying to tell us about his life, about fame and celebrity, but all he could come up with was an extravagant, ambiguous anthem that conceals the extremities of his emotional distress and anxiety. We could also see the line being an abbreviation of a common phrase, I tried to tell you I'm sorry. 
This interpretation would circle back to Connie's remorseful pleas to his baby's mother, who, if you'll remember, is a metaphor for the public. Again, if we're framing this narrative around his life amid the VMA backlash, it would seem that there's a part of Connie that seems to truly seek forgiveness, but also another equal part that feels his actions were justified, and so he's not quite able to apologize completely. To further illuminate this point, we turn to Kanye's 2013 description of My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy as his long backhanded apology, telling the New York Times, quote, You know how people give a backhanded compliment? It was a backhanded apology. It was like all these raps, all these sonic acrobatics. I was like, let me show you guys what I can do, and please accept me back, unquote. Conclusions all the Lights is surely a display of Kanye's sonic acrobatics if there ever was one. His 14 high-profile guest vocalists, many of which are challenging to even hear, exemplify the song's approach to extravagance, a sonic skyscraper so ambitious that one misplaced brick could set off a dramatic implosion. All the Lights is the kind of decadence that borders on excessive indulgence, like the terrible feeling you get after eating too much cake. It would seem this kind of problematic indulgence is an inherent quality of celebrity, and all of the lights as a calculated overstimulation, a sensory overload aimed to express the strung outedness of a life lived beneath a perpetual spotlight. Indeed, the music video of All the Lights begins with a required epilepsy disclaimer. The pulsating lights and rapid cuts combined with the song's sonic assault being enough to trigger a seizure, a fitting metaphor for celebrity life. When we began today's show, I mentioned that I viewed the musical interlude following power as a portal to another world. While there's been brief moments of fantasy at the end of the song Dark Fantasy and elsewhere, on All of the Lights we hear for the first time an elaborate fantasy world created throughout the entire song, complete with its own narrative arc. Like the tyrant to schizoid transformation on power, All of the Lights begins a glamorous, ambitious ode to stardom and ends a dysfunctional, unraveling mess. It's an ongoing expression of the internal conflict and dichotomy Kanye feels within himself, forever torn between the justification of his greatness and his apparent internal insecurity and sensitivity following the VMAs, his mother's death, and his failed engagement. Indeed, the closing few measures fumble to a stuttering conclusion, far from the brassy, optimistic fanfare that began the track. After this anticlimactic conclusion, we again are transported into another world, a world that treats all the lights like a spent, lipstick-stained cigarette, stomping out its last waning hope-filled embers. This swamp-infested jungle of a world is the setting of the album's next track, Monster, which we'll thoroughly explore next time on Dissect. Dissect is written and produced by me, theme music by Bureaucratic. If you enjoy Dissect, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend about the show, or share a link on your favorite social media outlet. There's no team behind Dissect, it's just me, and I can use all the help I can get growing the show. 
If you'd like to support Dissect, you can do so at patreon.com dissect. By pledging as little as $1 per month, which works out to be about 25 cents per episode, you can help Dissect become more sustainable and help me offset some of the costs of the show. My dream is to one day make Dissect my full-time job, and if just half the listeners of the show pledge $1 a month, I could very easily do that. A big shout out to my Diamond Level supporters, Evan Sweat, Jonathan Hardyway, Salmon Chaudhry, Mike Jala, Robbie Landsberg, Greg Cerveni, Arturo Macias, Raymond Reyes, Danny Park, Grant Jenkins, Judy Kushna, that's my mom, Quentin Samuels, the 3-1 crew, and the Portland Art Ensemble, Secreto Secreto, at organizedvoice.org. Again, you can support Dissect at Patreon, spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash dissect. Follow at Dissect Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and join our Dissect community group on Facebook by searching Dissect Podcast. You can also email me directly at dissectpodcast at gmail.com. I wanted to quickly tell you guys about a new podcast I currently love. It's called The Nod from Gimlet Media. Co-hosts Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings explore the beautiful, complicated dimensions of Black life. They tackle a wide variety of subjects about the Black experience, from more lighthearted topics such as grape drink and oil sheen spray, to more serious subjects like choosing the right school for your Black child. It's a really fun, poignant examination of the biggest moments in the most underexplored corners of Black art, media, and culture. I love this podcast. It's really fun, and I've even got the opportunity to speak with co-host Eric a few times. He's a great guy, and he's given me some really valuable advice about the podcast world. So please, go check out The Nod on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks, everyone. I'll talk to you next week.